Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're listening to the BBM Global Network with 25 years in broadcast audio and video production. Our passionate team creates content and marketing for the world of Internet talk radio. If you've got a passion, come join us at BBMGlobalNetwork.com. The BBM Global Network. Your voice is now heard. Welcome to Attention Matters with your host, Alice Aspen-March. Alice is here to discuss why the kind of attention we get and give to others is vital and impacts our behavior and our feelings. People can remember forever the kind of attention they got from teachers, parents and grandparents, dentists, from everyone in their lives, especially when it feels good and or feels bad. Alice is here to give you tools to intervene in your attention factor. So please welcome the host of Attention Matters, Alice Aspen-March. Hello, it's Attention Matters with Alice Aspen-March and her guest, Dr. Dennis Goodman. We're alive and, 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 and celebrating on BoldBraveMedia.com and TuneIn Radio. And please call us if you want to chat at 866-451-1451. Dennis, it is so yes. good to finally be ear-to-ear or mouth-to-mouth with you. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I'm here because I'm a great fan of yours. Well, thank you, which which leads me to, I must ask you this question, and you can give me any answer you want. When we first met, I was really your patient, and I came in to, for a wellness check. I think that's why I was there. And you said you really can't help me with anything else, but you could be my wellness doctor. And then you said to me, Alice, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm an international speaker, and you said, what do you talk about? And I said, attention. And you said, I want you on my serious talk radio show next week. That's right. Now, In fact, you were the, I've never had a guest that I got on my show so quickly. I said, I'm not going to waste any time because I was paying attention. Boy, were you ever. That was a miracle to me. You know, some people can't even ask that question. When I say I'm talking about attention, they don't know what to say to me. And sometimes they even say, well, I know all about attention. And then I stop talking. But if they ask me any question, I will talk. You know? No. Anyway, um, 
And I, I understand that you want to talk about wellness and health and happiness today. And I got a question for you. Okay. How, do you how, would you, how would you define wellness? Well, I think the first thing we got to say is what it's not. Uh, wellness is not the absence of disease. Unfortunately, we have a disease kind of model uh, in many medical systems because that's how you trained in Western medicine to try to find out what's wrong with somebody and try to make a diagnosis. You know, and we think of very astute physicians uh, and good diagnosticians as people who can find out what's wrong, even if it's something rare and it's something exotic, so that we can treat you appropriately. And for many years, um, I'm a well-trained interventional cardiologist and I uh, was practicing in, for many years as an interventional cardiologist at Scripps in San Diego. I was the head of cardiology at Scripps Memorial for many years. And I was practicing that kind of medicine where people were coming in with heart attacks and I was running to the emergency room and I was taking care of them and I often had to take them to the cardiac cath lab where you have an angiogram and I was sucking the thrombus out of the artery and putting balloons in the artery and putting stents in the artery. And of course, many times you really felt amazing because you felt like you really helped to save somebody's life. And just uh, as a point on that, I never thought of myself as saving someone's life because I've always believed that uh, your health and how you are physically and mentally and spiritually is the effort that you put in um, and your connection with a higher power, whether you want to call it God, whatever you want to call it. So I always was, if something went well, I always felt that I wanted to have gratitude. For me, it was God. I would tell the family have gratitude, and when they wanted to thank me for what I did, I said, please don't thank me, say a prayer of gratitude uh, to the good Lord, however, however you perceive that entity, person, he or she, or whatever the way you think about it. And in the same way, I always felt that if something went wrong, and things can go wrong, and people did die from heart attacks, despite all my best efforts, I didn't feel it's right to say thank you, I did a great job. I saved your, you know, your, your family member if I wasn't prepared to say, well, I'm really sorry. Uh, I must have done something wrong, and that's why they died. So I had the same approach, which was, you know what, it wasn't meant to be. And despite all our efforts, that was not how it's meant to be. And I'm telling you that story because I felt like a fireman. And I was running to these, the emergency room where the, the house was burning down. There was a patient having a major problem and usually a heart attack. And you come like a fireman does to a house that's burning. And sometimes you manage to put out the fire before too much damage is done. And sometimes, the, you, despite all your best, best effort, the house burns down. And I started to realize that I don't want to be a fireman anymore. You know, and after 20 years of doing this, I started to focus on where can I make a big difference and affect more people. And I'd much rather try to help somebody to do the right thing, to start living their life in a healthy way so they can prevent having a heart attack or a stroke or some terrible event. Because we know today that 80% of heart attacks and strokes are preventable with lifestyle changes and by modifying your lifestyle and by eating, by, by pursuing a healthy lifestyle, which we can talk about. So wellness, to come back to your question, 
is pursuing a healthy lifestyle so that you can feel well, that you can be well. And being well is not just a physical wellness. It's physical, it's spiritual, it's mental, it's emotional. And that all takes a lot of work. I once, uh, we talk about happiness. You asked me about that. I saw a wonderful quote the other day that, you know, when you are healthy, you start to think about all the things you want, right? You start, you want this, you want that. There's a thousand things you want. Um, some of them materialistic, others may be emotional. But when you're not healthy and you have a health problem, you only think about one thing. How can I be well? And you'll do anything and you'll pray and you'll pay any amount of money to be well when you really have a problem. So I want, and this is what I do, people to be aware that if you pay attention and that's your book and your whole mantra to what it takes to be well, because it's an active process. You have to be doing something. You can't be sitting there and saying, well, I hope I'll be well. You've got to actually do stuff. And that means in my world of integrative holistic medicine, which is where I turn my energy to, then for, I call, I've actually now got five components to it. They are nutrition, they are exercise and flexibility, they are stress management, sleep, the whole issue of sleep, and the fifth one is what I call socialization. Because being well and feeling well, and especially as you get older, is very dependent on your relationships and your social, your, your, your social interactions. And there's studies that have shown that many times when you ask people that are in the 80s and 90s, what is it, you know, that you, how did you get there? And how are they still enjoying life? And what is it that makes them so vibrant? And it always comes down to the same thing. It comes down to that they've got people in their lives that care about them and they care in turn about other people. So they've got something to live for. So later on the show, I'll tell you a story that relates to that. But that is a, a long way around answering, and I hope I did your question. Wellness is not the absence of disease. Of course, doctors are so important for diagnosing diseases. Absolutely crucial. And thank God we have a medical systems like NYU where I'm proud to be there, where when you've got a problem, you go there and you get seen by the very best. And sometimes it's surgery and sometimes it's medication, whatever it is. Sometimes it's rehab. But what I am focusing on is the idea that every single person should focus on how to be well. And sometimes it's just, it's not like it just drops into your head. You've got, to, you've got to think about what are you doing on those five topics that I discussed. So I hope that answers your question, Alice. It does. But I, and I want to say to you, you mentioned the magic word, feel. You have to feel well. And that has to do with attention. Because attention is an energy. And you feel it. And if you've done something that makes you feel good, that lands in your body. That is what I call the attention factor. 
and there are only two sides to attention. They're either bad or good. You either feel bad or you feel good. And and somebody brought that up to me in Los Angeles when they said, uh, you either feel yucky or yummy. Now, I've got to ask you this question, too. Do you think that your living in California when you did helped you decide which way you were going to turn your career? Because there was a difference. I know I it would help me. Because I lived yeah. there. I, I think it was that I, you know, I happened to be in San Diego. There, there really is no more beautiful place to live in this yeah. country. And California is, is wonderful. Now, some people don't like that kind of kind of lifestyle. It's too slow for them. Uh, right. In fact, you know, I know someone once who said, well, I wouldn't want to live in San Diego because SD does not stand for San Diego. And I said, what does it stand for? And they said, slow death. So we've got lots of we got slow we got listeners that maybe relate to that and say you're right I couldn't live there I'd rather live in the big cities like New York and L A and Chicago and and Houston and you know Atlanta yeah. because there's such a pulse and a buzz but I'm telling you that was it was a wonderful place to live a wonderful place to bring up children but I spent most of my time you know being an interventional cardiologist I, I kind of did everything and I was spend many, many nights a week and you're working long hours and under severe stress. And as I told you, I started to say to myself, you know, I want to change my focus to something where I can have a greater impact on more people. And I turned towards prevention. So it was in San Diego and California that I had this feeling and almost revelation. But it wasn't because I lived there. I think, you know, people in California, actually, we've got this reputation for being more chilled, more cool. But believe me, it's very stressful. And a lot of people, as you know, it's a desirable place. If you want to live in a desirable place, you'll find out there are a whole lot of other people who want to live there. And then it becomes very competitive and very expensive. But so there was you, you a... You can live there next was to a beach, a, but if you... Pardon? Uh, uh, there was a... a pulse there that wanted to do things differently at least it was in Los Angeles and I don't think I would have come upon what I have come upon if I hadn't lived in Los Angeles and mm. I've, I've thought about that because I, sometimes I say things and people look at me like I'm a little weird but I, I know what makes me feel well I can feel it and, you know, let's talk about healing for a minute. How do people feel that they, it's all done, it's all connected to attention, I know, but it's not stressed enough that when you, when you figure out what kind of attention you need to make your body feel healthy, you do it. Yeah, but I think you get the nail on the head. You have to pay attention to figure out what you need. Yes. You have to actually ask yourself that question. And you made a statement a minute ago that you feel well. And I want to ask you, well, what is it that you are doing in your life that says that that translates into you having a feeling of wellness? Dennis, I know the kind of attention I need at all times. I'm very aware of that. Now, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to go to a big meeting. You know, I have a broken leg, which is almost healed. But it's raining out, 
And I say to myself, I can't go to that meeting as much as I want to because I can't stand with a walker on the street and wait for a taxi cab. Mm. That is not good for me. Mm-hmm. And I don't drink I don't drink cow dairy because I learned, for instance, what it does to my body. And I learned why, etc. I haven't had cow dairy in 15 years, so I eat goat. But down to the, the smallest detail, really, I can feel if I do something that is negative to me. I'm bringing negative energy into my body. Now, I didn't know this. I didn't know a thing about attention. I was looking, you know, for, the, uh, for my role in my youngest son's dysfunctional behavior or what I judged was dysfunctional behavior because he'd been first a television addict and then he started using drugs. And I was terrified. Oh, we have to go to a, I'm going to back into the first commercial. I'm sorry, Dennis. But okay, he told me I saved his life. Because I started to understand that I wasn't giving him the kind of attention he needed. I gave him what I needed, not what he needed. And this is this is so vital for people to understand, to ask. ask. Oh, okay. Well, we'll come back and we can still talk about this. Uh, we need to go to a commercial. So that's where we're going right now. Stay with us, please. Attorney Renee Marie Smith is changing the way we sell real estate. She wrote a series of books called My Short Sale Guru Guides for all real estate practitioners. Whether you're a homeowner wanting to understand the process, an agent who has been handling short sales for years, or an industry analyst wanting to know how short sales impact your business, Renee uses her vast real estate experience to take a comprehensive look at the recent market phenomena while relaying it in an easy-to-understand format. Through her company, Smith Title Services, Renee has counseled thousands of short sale participants and processed in excess of a thousand short sales. Her knowledge is transformational for real estate professionals and laymen alike, and her live presentations provide people the opportunity to ask specific questions about their issues. Buy her books and schedule her to speak at your next event. Visit www.smithtitleservices.com or call 305-705-3428 or email her at renee at smithtitleservices.com. Isn't it time to sell your property today? Learn the My Short Sale Guru way. Did you know that your beliefs create your entire reality, but it's the subconscious beliefs that do most of the creating? Belief Shifter and Life Coach Shiraz can help you identify those limiting beliefs and eliminate them, often in a single session. Like it was almost instant, like... I had relief right away. Creating better health, relationships, careers, and finances. Let Shiraz help you step out of safety and into awareness. Definitely something's happening. Uh, it's like a, a flow inside. You know, it feels good. Whether in person or online, Shiraz provides personal coaching, belief shifting. Visit Shiraz at energeticmagic.com or call 416-529-7429. Energetic Magic on the BBM Global Network, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Find your greater happiness. Be well. Be aware. Be magical. We're back. Please call us in at 866 451 1451. 
Dennis, you asked me a very interesting question. How do I know? Well, I've done this, I've lived this way for a long time now, and it's very empowering to know that you can really take care of yourself, that you don't have to expect that if they loved us, they would know what kind of attention we need, because that doesn't work, so forget that, jettison that. But attention is our primary need forever. Mm -hmm. And and unless we tell people what we need, they don't know. They really don't know. So our first job, our number one job, is to find out what we personally need that makes us feel healthy and well, because nobody else knows. And that's a very inside job. So you talk about self-care these days. That's what they're talking about. Well, I talk about the same thing, but a little differently. Now, I want to go back to, uh, does that answer your question? Yeah, I think you've just uh, basically explained that you're paying attention to what you need. And uh, and therefore, you seek it out. Uh, you are being what I said in the very beginning of the show. You're being proactive and you're playing an active role in your own you know, well-being, uh, which is seeking out ways to make yourself feel well, feel valid, feel happy. Um, and one of the reasons you're doing the show is I'm sure for that exact reason, because you're using a medium to share your ideas with people because you're hoping that these ideas, which you know have worked for you and so many people, uh, will be helpful to others. I, I go to a big conference that's held five times a year and at the, all over the country. It's called the Renaissance Weekend. But on a recent one, when I went, two women came up to me separately. I don't even know if they knew each other. And they said, Alice, don't stop what you're doing. Because my husband asked me if he's giving me the right kind of attention or the kind of attention I need. Do you realize what a juicy, marvelous question that is between partners? Beautiful. I mean, yeah, exactly. I, you can make I was a very difference excited. between, now, uh, that's, when, that's wonderful. Thank you. When partners don't get the kind of attention they need, it feels so awful that they will disconnect, first of all, and then they will leave, and then they will be unhappy because they don't know how to give it to themselves, expecting that their husband knew. But it's all up to us to get the kind of attention we need. And when we don't, to do something about it, hopefully before the whole, the, the ceiling drops in, you know. But I want to ask you another question about now. Is it true because I've read that it is, that you could have a broken heart and it will kill you. Uh, that is actually true. Uh, and um, we, we have a, a term now in, in medicine, in cardiology, called broken heart syndrome. And there are m many, many cases of people who do not have any structural blockage say in a heart in an artery and they have a heart attack and there's a particular uh, condition called takasubos which is where normally affecting women under very stressful conditions they present looking like they've had a heart attack one part of the heart does not pump properly it balloons out and when these patients land up going to the cardiac cath lab where we do angiograms and look at their arteries the arteries are, are wide open so something's happened 
because of severe emotional stress where maybe the artery went into spasm, we still don't really know, and then a part of the heart stops pumping. And that can be fatal. So there's obviously large degrees of it, but I've had for years and years this, this sense that so many people come to me and, of course, all doctors uh, complaining about symptoms that may not be related to structural heart disease, and they often not. So let me give you one story. I'm actually writing a book now because I've got several of these stories. I'm about to tell you one, and I want to put them into print so people can actually be thinking uh, about these situations and what they can do about it and how they can have an alternative approach to possibly taking medication or having tests or having procedures. So I, many years ago, when I told you I was in San Diego and I had a very good friend who was a lung specialist, a pulmonologist, and he asked me if if I would please see his father, who at the time lived in Seattle, who was in his 70s, who was complaining of palpitations and not feeling well. Palpitations are skip beats. He just thought something was wrong with his heart. And he saw several doctors and he had tests and they told him they couldn't find anything wrong with him. And it was in his head. Uh, and he must just not worry and get over it. And my friend told me, he's, you know, he's getting more and more depressed. He's complaining about these symptoms. And I told him I'd be happy to see him, but I said, I'm not sure I'm going to find anything different. And it really is a, you know, quite a, quite a hassle to come down here and fly to San Diego for me to say, yes, you've had all the right tests and there's nothing that I can do any different. But he really pushed me and he insisted, oh, you know, and said, please, will you do it? And I said, yes. And a few weeks later, his father came down. But if I tell you, and there were 10 of the family members who came with him. He was from an Italian family and he was kind of the godfather of this family and the children came and some of the other relatives came and I had my waiting room full of the family from this man. And I had reviewed his records and I examined him and I saw a, a frail man who'd lost his spirit, who looked depressed. And I looked at his, all these records, and there was no evidence that he had a structural organic heart problem to cause his symptoms. And I actually asked him when I was examining, are you depressed? And he, he denied it. Um, and then I went into the way, you know, into, the, into, my, into my office. The whole family came in. And I said, you know, I've examined your father, uh, and I don't find any structural organic heart problem but in the situation I think of the syndrome of broken heart and I want to know is there something that's upsetting him could there be something and he's denied it but I don't know I'm bringing it up and the daughter jumped up one of them and said please can you step out of the room I want to speak to you so we went outside my office and she said my father has been having uh, an altercation and a fight with my brother, who now lives in a, I won't mention any in the place, but he lives somewhere else. Actually, it's not a problem, it's, it, it was Las Vegas, he'd moved to Las Vegas. And she said, my father is so depressed, it's killing him because he hasn't spoken to my brother in six months. So I said, well, that's enough to explain the situation. 
And I went back in my office and I explained that I think this could be the problem. This is broken heart syndrome. And that if he didn't pay attention to this, there's your word, that he would really be in my office or in a hospital with a heart attack because that's what happens when you don't pay attention to symptoms and signs from your body because your body gives you a warning with a symptom. And if you don't pay attention, you land up having something happen because you didn't listen to your body, something bad like a heart attack or a stroke. So I said to them, so my suggestion, my recommendation, as strongly as I can recommend it would be that you take your dad from this office straight to Vegas, not back to Seattle, and let him talk to his son. And I said, please call your brother tonight and say you saw a doctor, cardiologist, who says you please will he at least talk to his dad and that if he wants to see his father alive again, he should talk to him because he's on track for something very bad if this is ignored. And they left my office, and two weeks later, I'll never forget, I got a case of wine being brought up to my office with the most beautiful note, and I remember it, word for word. And this man said, Dear Dr. Goodman, thank you so much for giving me my life back. I went and I met with my son, and I'm feeling so much better. So I know it's, it's a long story, Alice, but that's what I think is important. And I felt that I figured out what was going on. I was paying attention to more than just the symptoms, but what are the underlying causes for these symptoms? Because if you ignore them or you don't pay attention to them, then you don't treat the underlying cause. And many times the underlying cause is emotional and it's a stress related to a relationship. And if you just put a Band-Aid on by giving someone medications or reassuring them there's nothing wrong with your heart, then we're missing the boat, we miss an opportunity for healing and for wellness. So there are many stories like that. I'm, 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 I'm grateful that I had all these years in cardiology where I was able to have many patients who came to me with symptoms like chest pain, palpitations, shortness of breath even, and once I checked them out and found out it wasn't structural, I could get into what is actually, what is causing this. And I came to have a saying that really I found helpful. So for example, if someone has a lot of headaches and they can't find a cause, you know, that's very common too, a lot of a lot of these symptoms like headaches, like chest pain. If you to say to somebody, who is your headache or who is your chest pain? Very often people, especially women, would start crying. Right on. They right would on. have that direct, it would be like suddenly, you know, a light bulb goes off. Dennis, we have to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about this more. Are you stressed? Is your stress driving you crazy? Do you know there are many ways to relieve the stress? The Spirit Within Massage and Hypnosis Clinic does just that. Reduce your stress plus so much more. Established in 1997, the Spirit Within Massage and Hypnosis Clinic offers an approach to wellness for those individuals who choose to either utilize appropriate complementary methods to enhance their current medical care or to those individuals who are on their personal journey toward improved health and wellness through the use of therapeutic bodywork, Reiki energy healing or hypnosis. 
The Spirit Within Massage and Hypnosis Clinic is owned by Dr. Judy Dean, a registered nurse and board-certified massage therapist and medical hypnotherapist in LaPorte, Indiana. Visit www.spiritwithinmassage-hypnosis.com to see all services offered by Dr. Judy. For a free personal consultation, please call Dr. Judy Dean at 219-326-1380. The Spirit Within Massage and Hypnosis Clinic, 219-326-1380. If you're a person caring for someone living with dementia, then this program is for you. It's designed for families and friends coping with the challenges of caregiving. The foundation of care, Susan Kohler believes, is communication. Innovative Dementia Care with Susan Kohler provides strategies to keep the lines of communication open between you and your loved one, increase quality interactions, decrease the burden of daily care for you, the caregiver. Join Susan, 11 a.m. Eastern, on the BBM Global Network. Susan and her guests will share techniques so you can facilitate your loved one's ability to safely follow your instructions, participate in daily activities, and express daily wants and desires. To learn positive solutions, creative ideas, and practical strategies that will build a healthy foundation of care. Dennis... What would happen if this whole kind of conversation was included in a workup with a patient, for instance? What kind of attention are you getting from your family today? Or do you, are you missing talking to someone? It's so simple. Maybe that's why it's so missed. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think the idea would be, you know, ideally uh, doctors want to be able to do this. But there's a lot of pressure now, there's time constraints, and it's hard to spend time talking about these issues. They take time. And so you have to have enough time, and you have to be focused on the fact that there could be something beyond what what, what seems to be apparent. So a person is not a blood pressure, they're not a cholesterol result. They're not just, you know, they're not an abdominal pain, they're not a knee pain, they are a person who has all these things that make them who they are the mind the body the spirit and we have to we have to uh connect to these other aspects to be able to say that you are that you that you well so doctors who are able to do this and some there are a lot of doctors who do this that's to me the art of medicine connection empathy making people feel that you care so you have to be able to dig a little bit deeper to be able to show people that you care. And that's getting to know them, who they are, what's, what's going on in their lives, what are their challenges. So you're absolutely right. We do try to train the medical students. We're all focused on trying to make you know, doctors more empathetic, more compassionate. But we're also in a system where the pressure's on and we've got time constraints. How much time, you know, when you've got not a lot of time, maybe 15, 20 minutes to see somebody, they come with medical problems, and then you want to start talking about relationships, and it's not easy. So what do we do? We say, well, at best, we kind of say, well, do you want to go see a psychologist? And that's where they're supposed to be talking about these problems. But I feel that we can diagnose a lot of these issues right in the doctor's office, right up front, and I must say that many, many doctors do, and, and healthcare providers. It's, to me, it's a gift being able to 
pick up on these things because the last thing you want is somebody having all sorts of tests, unnecessary tests, even procedures, because we went down the wrong path. And instead of yeah. dealing with a, a frust an emotional problem, we to start going down the road of trying to prove that it's not a physical organic problem. Uh, and that is the art of medicine. Do you think that an, an opening can be created in the insurance industry? Because as you talk about this, it's also a way to save money if they can get in touch with the what and the who in the doctor's office rather than having all these tests. Yeah, you're right. But you're 100% right. So, you know, when I teach, this is what, how I teach. I want the students and, 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 and the residents and to, to start to be thinking beyond the physical. And so just asking a question, like I brought up on the show, who is your headache? I love it. I love you'll it. Am, you'll be amazed how many people will then tune in and say, oh, my God, I just realized. I know who my headache is. Well, uh, you've given me an idea, but that's that may have to be my new book. I'm going to write a book. The title of which right now is, Why Does She Have to Know That? But I may be changing it. I have another question for you. How do you, well, we've talked about wellness and we've talked about health, but what about happiness? Can you measure happiness? Well, you know, it's so subjective, isn't it? Uh I, I, I saw another quote from a, somebody I'm very, very uh, fond of and, 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 and respectful of, and his name is Dr. Daniel Javits, and he basically said, um, happiness begets health, and good health begets happiness. Because when you feel happy, you often feel healthy. And when you feel healthy, you're happy. And so there's a strong interaction, but we have to acknowledge you can't, no one's happy all the time because we are dealing with the stresses and the challenges of life. And we all have stuff that we have to deal with and some more than others. And we all know that. And sometimes you listen to stories and you go, oh my, you know, that poor, poor, poor individual who's had to suffer with this situation. And what we have to try to figure out is, as people listening to them, how can we do something for them that will make them a little happier? Because I, I'm sure you agree with me. Happiness is a feeling of contentment and a feeling that, you know what, you're feeling good. You feel good when you, when you help other people. That's how it comes. Oh, that, that's the most you. important way to feel good. Because then other people react to you. So if you project a smiley face every day, you will see smiley faces. Um, you know, we, we don't see our, it's interesting, we don't, we don't see our own faces, Alice. We don't even know how we, how we look until you look in a mirror. But other people see our faces. And if you project a caring, smiley face, you're likely to see a caring, smiley face. If you project an angry, unhappy, miserable face, who wants to give you a smiley face? So I'm always about telling people, you want to feel other people's good energy, you've got to first put it out. And, and it's hard sometimes when you don't feel good. But project yourself in a way that is 
trying to show other people that you care and that you want to help them. And then you are much likely to be happy. And I don't have to tell you this, but when you ask most people, what do you feel most, most good about? What makes you happy? It's relationships that are good. It's their family. And so many times it's the volunteer work that they do. Right for on. People, for right people on. that are less fortunate. That I- makes them happy. I was hoping you, we could get to generosity of spirit because, 100%. you know, attention doesn't have to cost anything and we never run out of it. It's available to us. I'll, I'll tell you a short story. I was having lunch one day in Los Angeles and there were three women at the next table with a young boy. The mother was there, the grandmother was there, and the aunt was there, and they were busily engaged in a conversation, so much so that this little boy was crawling under the table. Nobody was paying attention to him, and he came in front of me. He walked by my table. He had a little airplane on his shoulder, and I said to him, I like your airplane, and he just stopped and smiled. That's what people do when they're being made visible. They just stop and smile every time. Just try it. Anyway, his, his relatives uh, realized that a total stranger was talking to their nephew, grandson, and whatever. And they left. But now, as he left, he walked by my table and said goodbye. Now, we had already established a connection with the one sure. thing I said, and that's all it took. He felt that's that somebody was caring enough about him. That's exactly what I was saying, and, and there's a great example of it. Uh, and we all are able to do that. I, I want to tell you one more story, and I, and, and I do, you know, such a, it was so powerful for me as a doctor, and it made a huge difference to the way I practiced after that, and it relates to a man that was in his 60s in San Diego who was alone. He was divorced. He had no family, and he used to come to my office once a month and say, you know, this is the day I look forward to every month because, you know, I come and I talk to you. And it turned out that he got to a point that he had a blocked artery, his carotid artery in his neck, and he needed a surgeon uh, to, to go in for the surgery called a carotid endarterectomy where they clean out the artery. Um, and I sent him off to the best surgeon that I knew. And he was set up for the surgery. And the morning of his surgery, I went to the room that he was in just before surgery. And I walked in and he was an absolute wreck. He was sweating. He was anxious. He, was, he, said, he said, Dr. Goodman, I, I can't go through this. I said, what's wrong? He said, I've just seen the surgeon and the surgeon told me I'm going to have a stroke. And those were the words that he heard. And it put him to such a negative space and such a negative place. And for 10 minutes, I spoke to him about how I had chosen the surgeon because he has the best hands and he's a brilliant surgeon, but not because he had the best bedside manner. And that surgeon was just coming in and trying to say things can go wrong. But he mentioned the word stroke because he felt he had to do that for full disclosure and um, being able to, having, having, uh, having gone through, you know, risks. So he's told the patient what the risks are. Um, and this patient, all he heard was that he's going to have a stroke. 
So he was in a terrible state. And I calmed him down as best I could, but I could see he was still very agitated. And I left the room. And just when I got to the door, I turned around and I said, now, don't forget that I love you. And I walked out. And he did brilliantly. Surgery went well. Thank God. And he came to see me two weeks later in my office and he said, Dr. Goodman, I have to tell you something. Those words that you said to me just before you left my hospital room, he said they had such an impact on me that I said to myself, if there's one person left in the world who still loves me, I want to live and I'm going to have the surgery. And I'm telling you that story because it was so powerful for me to realize that just simple words of caring, we all capable of it, can make such a difference. This is to a patient, but imagine the difference you can make to people in your orbit, in your life, or even someone sitting on a street who's sitting there begging, that you actually stop by and say, where do you sleep at night? Something that says, that says, I care about you more than just giving you, you know, a few dollars. It's not easy to do that. But there's so many opportunities that we have to, to show people that we care. And if we had some more of this love and caring in the world, uh, it would be a much better place. So I know, Dallas, one of the reasons I'm so, you know, in awe of you is you've been spreading this message your whole life. And uh, that's what makes you special. And that's why I, I feel that you're a gift and you provide a gift. Dennis, they, uh, wait a minute, we have to take a commercial break. I hate to interrupt you. But that story is so precious. We'll be back soon again with Attention Matters. The earliest human societies worshipped a female goddess. Little is known about this time because we did not always have a written recorded history. It was around 3100 BC when the Sumerians invented the first written language and everything that preceded this time is prehistory. The prehistorical record includes all of women's unwritten history from 30,000 BC to the time that men began achieving political power around 3000 BC. Male feminist artist Kimberly Berg maintains a strong position in educating and inspiring both men and women through his devotional art to the goddess in all women. Studying their history is paramount to understanding who women were and who they would become later living in a patriarchal society. To learn more about this important time in our history, go to www.isisrising.net. Mike Zorick, a three-time California state champion in Greco-Roman wrestling at 114 pounds. Mike, blind since birth, was born in Hartford, Connecticut. He was a six-time national placer, including two seconds, two-thirds, and two-fourths. He also won the Veterans Folk Style Wrestling twice at 152 pounds. In all these tournaments, he was the only blind competitor. Nancy Zorick, a creative spirit whose talents have taken her to the stage and into galleries and exhibitions in several states. Her father, a commercial artist who shared his instruments with his daughter and helped her fine-tune her natural abilities, influenced her decision to follow in his footsteps. Ms. Zorick has enjoyed a fruitful career doing what she loves. Listen Saturday mornings at 12 Eastern for The Nancy and Mike Show for heartwarming stories and interesting talk on the B. 
BBM Global Network. Dennis and I were talking off air, and he asked me something, and I guess it's time to share how far I've come. I said to Dennis, it's so easy to make a difference in somebody's life. And you can make a good difference or a bad difference. That's Therein lies the, the rub. I was a selective mute until I was in kindergarten. I just refused to speak to my parents. And I know why now. I didn't at the time, of course, and it took me a long time to realize it. They wanted a perfect child. And so I was criticized with everything I did. And I got that. I got that in their energy. And I must, this little mind must have said, so I'm not going to talk to them anymore. And my father, being a very prominent physician, heard that other doctors were talking about his daughter. What's wrong with her? She's not talking. So they took me to a special child development center in Detroit, Michigan. And um, I still have the note in my baby book. And the note says, leave her alone. She'll develop at her own rate. I was 19 months old when they took me. And when she was through taking the test, which she passed with flying colors, she went over to the corner, put her snowsuit on and her hat and her scarf and walked out. She was done. I love that letter so much. So uh, fast forward, still not talking. Fast forward, I'm going to kindergarten. They realized the problem. I have one lesson, one lesson. And I go in and the lady gives me a mirror very nicely with great respect. And she says, Alice, I want you to look in the mirror open your mouth and look and see that thing hanging down in your throat because that's where your words come from. Mm. And her energy around me was so different, Dennis. I haven't stopped talking since. See, that's unbelievable. Wonderful. Wonderful. And and gave you that, that incredible gift of knowing your own power. Uh, that's right, yeah. that I was in charge. And I also want to tell you, when I moved to J- Japan with my husband, the soldier, we were given an introduction to a doctor and his family. And the first thing this man said to me was, Alice, I really want you to live in our house because I know what's what it's like. He was a Japanese physician, head of the uh, pharmacology school at Hokkaido University. He said, I know what it is to be a foreigner in a foreign land. That's all he had to say. He knew what it was to be where I was because he went to Germany to train to be a medical man. Just that one sentence made me feel so safe and that I really mattered and I would be okay. That is what this is all about. So, Alice, before we finish, I just want to, I've just finished a book called The Peach Who Thought She Had to Be a Coconut. And I'm going to recommend this to your listeners because it's it's a short book and it's about somebody called Terry Rubenstein. And she wrote this book, uh, The Peach Who Thought She Had to Be a Coconut. And it's all about understanding the power of thought and how we have consciousness, we have mind consciousness and thought. And it, we get, it delves into these three areas. And really the bottom line of the book, which was so powerful and something we both know, 
is that your thoughts are powerful. You know, thoughts jump into your mind. And it's how you react to these thoughts that determine you how happy you're going to be. Because if you have a thought that you don't like and then it allows you to become depressed or angry or anxious or sad, that thought has now taken you down a track that actually makes you unhappy. And so the idea is to say, I've got a thought. How am I going to let this thought be something that's going to be productive for me? And if it's not, I'm not going to let it take me down the wrong road. And it's a beautiful book. And this, this particular person, Terry, has had her own experiences of life. And I really enjoyed it because it's just to come back to how we started in the show. You have to be proactive. You, to be well, you actually have to be thinking about your thoughts that come into your head and how do you use them for good and how do you use them so that you can be well and not allow them to take you down a road where you're going to be unwell or unhappy. And that's the challenge and it's not easy, but that's the challenge and we have to work on it and paying attention to your thoughts is the first step to determining how you're going to react to them. Well, also, you can change your thoughts. It's all about feeling and being present in your life. You know? 100%. And a a life is full of moments. That's what it... You're never going to be happy all day long, but you could have moments of extreme happiness. And moments when you really feel good. And we have to glory in those moments and say, boy, that really made me feel good. I went and bought myself some ice cream, and I had an ice cream moment. You know, that's worth something. I love the title of the book, by the way. Agreed, agreed. I, I think that it's so important that we recognize thoughts you're right you know you change your thoughts you change your life and if something is a thought that's making you feel anxious or making you feel fearful i don't know if you've heard the saying that fear we know the word fear right a lot of people are anxious because they fear something but fear stands for false expectations appearing real sometimes you have to ask yourself um is this a real realistic fear Or am I just having a false expectation because you're thinking about what could go wrong when the chances of it going wrong are extremely low and sometimes negligible? So uh, the important point, and that's why we're sitting and talking about it, is to be thinking about these things and spreading the word and uh, spreading, I know this sounds cliche, but it's spreading the love and caring that we all have inside of us as human beings because when you can show that to other people then you will be happy well that's a very important point and i think the fact that i'm an elder now works in my favor because people will say to me i want to be like you when i grow up and now i'm saying to them don't you want to know how i got here because it's not, it's, I live a conscious life. That's right. 
Okay. Well, well, I, I, the stories that you've told about your patients reacting to just three words you've said, I love you, don't forget that, that makes all of what we're talking about easy, Dennis. And it is easy when you consider, as I said, it doesn't have to cost anything. You just have to be alert to somebody else's pain or what they're missing or you mentioned the word fear. Now we've got FOMO, fear of missing out. That's another new thing. Right. And just, you know, and that makes such a difference. Just to even sort of laugh and say, are, are you a FOMO person? And, and then talk about it because that makes people very anxious. Just recognizing where people are and meeting their needs and not your own needs. This is important, you know. When when I, I my leg was x-rayed and the doctor said to me, well, you have a fractured femur and any complaints or agony you were experiencing was legitimate. Do you know how good I felt? Right. I mean, I, I wasn't, I was sorry I had a, a fracture, but the fact that he recognized what I had been going through was very valuable to me. Yeah, acknowledgement. Acknowledgement and support and connection and listening. Listening is a major element in our whole discussion today because people know when they're listened to and they know when they're not listened to. So, you know, we've got, we, we've covered a lot of territory here and I am delighted that you told your stories and uh, uh, we'll have to, I think we should meet again and just take on the insurance company and intervene in this whole medical thing because it's so easy. We'll make it easy. We got 10 okay. more seconds. Dennis, well, thank you for having me on and I want to wish you, you know, all the best uh, and good health for many years to come so that you can continue doing this amazingly good work. Thank you. And you too, Dennis. And so long for now. Bye. You've been listening to Attention Matters with your host, Alice Aspen-March. Tune in each week as Alice will provide tools, insights, and an innovative perspective on how to consciously give and receive quality attention here on Attention Matters. You've been listening to the BBM Global Network. The ideas, views, and opinions of this broadcast are those of the participants of the program and are not necessarily the ideas, views, and opinions of the BBM Global Network Company.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.